Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. Lord, that it's going to speak to us, it's going to direct us, it's going to help us, it will sustain us, it will encourage us, and it will provide the foundation that we need to stand on in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this morning, I just want to speak to you about the power of hope. 1 Peter 1, 3 says this, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, it's amazing. We spoke last week about having a living faith, that we're not meant to have a dead faith, but we're meant to have a living faith that has works, our works being displayed out of that place of faith. So not only are we just a people of a living faith, but we're also people of a living hope. And it's an amazing thing to realize that every born-again believer, every person who says, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, we can understand and receive the fact that hope is actually part of who we are on the inside and who God has made us to be. It's part of our makeup as, as born-again people. That's what it's meant to be like. You might say, well, I don't always feel hopeful. Well, neither do I, so we'll talk about that. But when we don't have hope, without it we really suffer. Yeah? When we don't have hope. Who here can honestly testify to that fact that without hope we suffer? I'm putting my hand up. Yeah? You know why? Because Proverbs 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. See, I don't think that human beings can actually live without hope. We just have to look at the bushfire victims and we see... You know, all their hopes and dreams are literally evaporated in front of them instantly. I saw something on uh, Facebook, I think, a, a live video that went around, and someone was videoing what was going on from the inside of their house, and they lost cars, and they lost barns, and they lost uh, sheds, and all sorts of things, many animals, and you could see it all just combusting in front of their, their eyes, and thankfully they were saved and they were okay. But can you imagine, like, so suddenly to have that, form of loss. Well, we, we actually can't imagine. I say, can you imagine? But unless we've gone through it, I don't think any of us can imagine. So, you know, the reality will be that many people coming out of those bushfires will probably suffer depression due to that sense of loss, that feeling of hopelessness. But it's amazing how people's kindness, Australians' kindness rallying around, like it's been amazing to watch just the gathering of the community of Australia gathering around, you know, churches, people, people that are even going through it themselves are still reaching out, that selflessness that comes on people. It, it breeds hope in people. It puts hope back into people. And it's a beautiful thing when you see that happening. Hopefully uh, we'll have a swift response from our government to be able to provide the necessary things that they need because that will help to start bring hope back into their lives again as they begin to rebuild. So what really is hope? Well, obviously hope is like an anticipation. It's sight from the inside, isn't it? It's something that we see from the inside. Ephesians 1.18 says that it's the eyes of our heart that need to see. It's the eyes of our heart that need to be enlightened, or one version says to be flooded with light so that we would see the hope of his calling. So there's power and there's a principle here that the eyes of our hearts need to see hope. They need to, they need to have their eyes, the eyes of our hearts need to be fixed on a sense of hope. 
There's got to be a dream. There's got to be a vision in our hearts that we're working towards. There's got to be something powerful that takes us on. People that are hopeless, that feel like they have no hope, this is what leads to chronic depression. This is even what leads to despair, to suicide, because they feel like there's literally no way out. There's no other way out. And it's a devastating thing to, to talk to people who are on the brink of that sort of despair and that sort of depression. Because we're not created to live without hope. We're just not. Human beings can't do it. And that's why God loves us so much that he sent his son so that he would be the embodiment of our hope, so that we would see what hope really looks like. So our heart will see good things if we let our hearts see good things. The potential is there. When Paul prayed that prayer in Ephesians, he was praying it. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you will know the hope of your calling. So he's talking to believers. So in other words, there's always a battle on for the eyes of your heart and what they are seeing. There's always a battle, let alone people without God. They're, they're, they're living in a state of hopelessness and, and, and worldly hope and, and just hope, human hope, which is still a good thing. Obviously, we all need to have hope. But as Christians, there's another form of hope. There's a biblical hope that you and I can walk in. And so for Paul to pray that over believers, he's praying. I, he wasn't saying, I'm so thankful that the eyes of your heart are already flooded with light so that you can know the hope of your calling. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, I pray. He's interceding for these believers who he sees week in, week out, wherever they go. Wherever he went to, to minister, when he and his team would go and minister, he would find groups of believers. Maybe they were in the middle of persecution. Maybe they were in the middle of, of death. Maybe they were in the middle of chronic illness and chronic despair. Maybe they'd been disdained at, and thrown out of their jobs because they were Christians. Who knows what they were going through? He could see hopelessness in their eyes. And so he would say, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light. Because there's a point where every single one of us have to grab hold from the inside, the hope that belongs to us. We come to church because we long to feel hope. Is that right? You're all here not because of any other reason, and I honor that and I respect that. You're here because you're longing for hope. You're longing to meet the personification of hope. You're longing to walk away satisfied, feeling like something in my heart has seen truth and seen hope. I know it because every single week I come exactly the same, with exactly the same anticipation. I need the praise and worship. I never want the praise and worship to be shut down or shortened because I want to get up and preach. No, it's the opposite. I'd rather not preach. I'd rather just bask in his presence and let him minister to me as I minister to him. So Paul knew that. And I think we all understand that. I can see a lot of people nodding. I think we all understand that. But you see, hope is actually crucial to our faith. Hope is crucial to our faith. You know, last week I read out of James, and I'll read James 17 to, 9, uh, to 20 really quickly just to refresh us. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. In other words, faith just kind of stands alone by its little old lonesome you know it's just by itself but someone may well say you have faith and I have works 
Will you show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works? You believe that God is one, you do well. He says even the, the demons actually believe as well and they, they shudder or another version says they tremble. So believing isn't enough. Faith in saying I believe in Jesus, yes it gets us saved, but when it comes to the outworking of our lives as disciples, it's not enough. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So we saw last week that faith is dead when it stands alone because faith has to have an output for it to be a living faith. But I want to say today that faith also provides no support and it has no direction if it's not coupled and linked in with hope. Because hope without faith is literally just wishful thinking. Hebrews 11 verse 1 is the scripture that I can base that, that statement on. Now faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Think about that. That's kind of a, an oxymoron because evidence is something that is seen. You know, you go into a, you watch any of the cop shows and you say, what's the evidence? They, it's the, th the facts in front of them. Well, here it's telling us that faith is actually evidence of something that's not yet seen, and yet it is hoped for. So what we see here is that faith is like a support or a setting under. It's like, the, it's like concrete under our feet. It's the very substance that holds our walk. But thermostat, uh, sorry, thermostat, hope is like the thermostat that sets the, the goal for our faith to latch on to. It's like hope is like, if you just buy, <coughs> pardon me, if you buy a thermostat and put it on your wall and you turn it up to 25 degrees and expect the heating to come on without putting all the back end stuff in and all the stuff underneath the house and all the duct work, all it does is say that this is just wishful thinking. But also, if you buy all the ductwork and you've got the engine sitting outside of your ducted heating unit, but you forget to put a thermostat on, you've got all the works there, you've got the faith there, you've got the substance for something to happen, but you've got nothing to set your hope to. When you put a thermostat on the wall that's linked into the engine that's outside and all the stuff that's underneath the house, when you turn that thermostat on, that's your hope, saying, oh, this is what I believe the heating is going to go up to. But it's based on the fact that you know that the substance of what's going to cause that to come to pass is literally already placed inside the house, outside the house. It's already ready to go. You see, faith without hope, you, you can't have them working without each other. Because hope is the blueprint for our faith. Hope is the very thing that shows us things that we can't see yet in the natural we can't see it. It hasn't come to pass yet, but we see it on the inside. It's what Paul is saying. I want you to see from the inside. Yes, this hope hasn't come to pass yet, but I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will see because it's a hope. It fills you with hope. When you have that feeling of hope, there's nothing like it, guys. There's nothing like the feeling of hope. And there's nothing worse than the feeling of hopelessness. So this is something really important for you and I as Christians, that there is a hope, there is, a, there is something that God wants us to walk towards, 
But faith has to be linked in. And the, the hope is the very thing that we can't see yet, but it becomes the blueprint the faith then attaches itself to. And then when we believe in God, that is the guarantee that it's going to happen. That's why it becomes evidence. Because it's solid. You can bank on it that Jesus will do what he said he will do. He said, ask of me and I will do it. Believe in me. Confess your sins to me. You will be saved. We do that when we, when we pray and ask him to, to be Lord of our lives. It's a guarantee. It's an evidence. Even though we're not in heaven yet and we're not walking in eternal salvation yet, but we already know that because God's put that eternity in our hearts. There's something in us. There's a sense of that hope that, that is working together. But the hope that we have to have, it has to be biblical hope. It's crucial to our faith. We don't get to invent our own truth or go against the truth of the Bible. You know, that's why when we praise God at the beginning of our services, it's so powerful. You know, it's not just this nice little sing-along that we do. We're actually declaring the power of God. What we were doing this morning, like we're declaring truth. We're aligning our belief system and the words of our mouth with, uh, with the word of God and we're declaring truth in spite of our feelings. Sometimes I come to church feeling so low, so heavy and so depressed. But I know that when I stand there, I have to honour him and let my, the words of my mouth agree with the truth that I believe. Because guys, I can't trust my emotions. I'm never able to trust my emotions. My emotions will never paint hope for me. My emotions will never paint hope for me. And so often we're constantly pulling ourselves out of our emotional hopelessness, just going after truth. What else does hope do? It anchors our soul and it underpins our existence. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says this, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever. This is a promise that you and I have. This provides this kind of strong foundation of vision and purpose. This isn't about a feeling. This is a hope that's not based on feelings. This is a hope that is based on the new covenant reality that you and I are meant to have. We have a better hope. Hebrews 7.19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, and on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. It's hope that draws us near to God. It's that hope for what's coming. You see, when it's an anchor to our soul, it anchors us to our destiny. It anchors us to our, our eternal destiny, but it also anchors us to the life and the journey that God has called us to. You know, we all know that, that God must have a purpose for us. We're not just accidents here to happen. We've been called with a purpose. In fact, the Bible says that there, there's, a, there's a pathway. There's, there are good steps for us to walk in. There's a way for us to walk in that has been made before we were even created. God called us and he, he wants us to walk in this journey that he's called us into. There's a, there's a destiny for each and every one of us. He knows you and I. He knows our names. But why is it so hard? And it feels like it's getting harder. Maybe it's just me and I'm getting older, but it feels like it's getting harder to watch this world and the hopelessness that is coming on the, on the world. The more intelligent we become, supposedly intelligent, the more 
able we are, the more advanced we are as humanity, it seems to be, to, to me, that the more hopeless people are becoming, even, even in church. I feel like humanity is kind of losing its way a little bit. And so hope is so powerful. And when we as Christians say, well, I believe, yes, we believe. We believe in Jesus, but if we don't have hope anchoring our soul, if we don't have hope for us to latch our faith onto, what's the blueprint that we're releasing our faith for? If we say, I believe for a strong marriage, but in my heart all I see is hopelessness and despair, and I hate the guy or I hate the woman, I just, I'm so angry with them. If, if we see destruction and despair and fury and anger, what do we really believe? Really, our words just sort of fall to the ground and don't mean anything. You see, what we're really saying is, I, Jesus, I believe in you, but my hope isn't lining up with my faith. God wants us to line it up. He wants hope to anchor our soul and underpin our existence. The devastating thing is when people lose hope. You know, Jesus always wants to give us direction and purpose. You know, you read through the Gospels. He said things like, go to the other side. He was direct. He was sure. He knew what he wanted the disciples to do. Well, do you think he stopped doing that for you and I? I don't think so. I think he's still doing that to you and I. I think he wants to speak into our hearts. I think he wants to tell you, Tenny. I think he wants to minister to you. I think, Rina, he wants to speak into your heart. I think he wants to come and touch you, Ryan. I think he wants to speak powerfully into your hearts. He wants to minister to us and show us. He always gives us direction. He will always give us purpose. We can't lose hope. It's an anchor. Hope has to anchor us. We have to fight for the power of hope. You have to fight for hope. I know, I fight for hope all the time. I know what I'm talking about. The enemy is brutal. The enemy is ruthless. The enemy of our soul is brutal and he is ruthless. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. He wants us to end up in despair. He wants us to see nothing but destruction around us. He wants us to believe his lies. He wants to take us off course. He doesn't want us to be anchored in a hope that is so powerful where the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to be strong people anchored in a peace from the Prince of Peace. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want wonderful counselor, almighty God living in us and guiding us. He doesn't want that. He wants to guide us with his hopelessness and his despair. He wants to lie into our minds. He wants to rip us off in the area of our emotions. He wants us to feel adrift like we don't have an anchor, that we don't have a foundation. But we do have an anchor and we do have a foundation. And it's ours to take. And it's mine to take. Because hope will anchor our soul. See, this is what it says in, in Proverbs 13, 12. Well, I read it earlier, actually. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And this is what will happen in Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no revelation or where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. See, where there is nothing guiding us, where there is nothing that we can see, where there's no hope guiding us and leading us and keeping us on track and anchoring our very soul. What is our soul? Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. 
Man, I'm a very emotional person. You can probably tell. Not everyone is going to be highly emotional. I get that. But there are many of us who are highly emotional people. And we become like targets in this area. But you know what? God wants us to rein in those emotions and find that place of hope. Find that anchor. Because when we cast off vision, when there's no vision of hope, when the eyes of our heart are not seeing hope, it's just too easy to cast off restraint. And you know what? We can't do that anymore. We can't live in this kind of bubble of Christianity that says this hyper-faith kind of thing that I'm okay. But his hope propels us. When you have his hope, it's amazing. He propels us to take the extra mile because we're prepared to walk in the purpose of God for our lives. He's gone within the veil. When we have biblical hope in our hearts, we actually access heaven because Jesus has gone there before us. It's a biblical hope that we want. Not wishful thinking, it's biblical hope. So how do we maintain biblical hope? John 14.1 says this, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. See, unresolved grief will block hope. And I think I think too many of us have lived in a place of unresolved grief. You know, I, I heard a story of a, of a pastor in Australia a few years ago, uh, an amazing man, big church, big-ish, not, not in Victoria, somewhere else, another state. And he had, um, one evening he came in, and I heard this firsthand, so I know this is true, at one of the evening services, he came in, he was late, and his wife was leading the service, but he came forward at the altar call down the front, and he vomited, and because everyone was up at the altar call, not many people noticed, but he vomited up what looked like blood, but in fact, it wasn't blood, it was red wine, because he was completely smashed off his face. And uh, anyway, thankfully, it was very unnoticed uh, by the majority of people, don't know how you can not notice vomit, but anyway, um, it was, you know, big shambles with everybody up there praying and all sorts of things. And it turned out that this poor man had unresolved grief from when he was a little boy. But he had never learned to let go of that grief and never known and had it modeled to him how to be authentically honest and truthful and open about his grief. So he put on the layers of Christianity and put on the layers of leadership and put on the layers of how to do life and how to look happy, and yet this man was crumbling from the inside out. And so he used alcohol as a way to mask and to cover up his grief. You know, maybe we don't do that, but maybe we use other things. Maybe we get addicted to other things. We get addicted to screens. Maybe we get addicted to, to relationships, wrong relationships. Maybe there are other ways that we, we cover up. Maybe we don't even cover anything up. With me, I tend to push it all down. But in the end, I can't bear it anymore. I can't bear that sense, you know, and, and that sense of hopelessness and I just want to share this with you guys, you know, because 
We always want to be authentic and real with all of you. Because, yes, I'm a pastor, and yes, I'm up here preaching, but you need to know, yesterday, just yesterday, less than 24 hours ago, I had such grief in my heart. I felt like my chest was going to explode. Has anyone ever felt that kind of grief? Yeah. I felt like my chest was going to explode. And, you know, I'm doing all the right things. I'm, I'm, I'm praying. Brahm and I were praying in the Spirit constantly, and, you know, we were doing things in the house and rearranging things, and I had, the, I had the Bible going, I had the book of Hebrews going, and I'm doing everything I know to build myself up in, the holy, in, in my holy faith. I'm listening to the Word of God. I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. But I felt such an oppression. All week I've known I was going to preach on hope. In fact, from last year, I already knew in January I wanted to preach one sermon on hope. So I've had all these scriptures, you know, the hope deferred makes the heart sick, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. I've been meditating on the fact that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm quoting it, I'm standing in it, standing on those scriptures. You know, Brahm and I, we do this every day of our lives. We're walking around the house, weren't we, Brahm? And we're, we're praising God, we're worshipping God. Everything we teach you that we do, we do. But yesterday, grief got to me, and it was so painful. It was so hard, and uh, I, I can't live with that because I push it down. You know, I've spent decades as a pastor being nice to people, smiling when they stab me in the back, hugging them when I know they're being nasty behind my back, loving people containing grief, never really letting out, forgiving. You know, and often I would pray, and I, always praying, always forgiving, always being loving, always taking the right steps to honour the faith that God has placed in my heart. But there comes a point where when you feel so hopeless, that, that, that's got to go. And I actually thank God, I know I'm going to regret saying this because I know it'll happen again, but, but this is literally my training ground. Because I, if, unless I did what I did yesterday, I, I probably wouldn't even be here today. I'd be curled up in bed. I want you to know what you go through, we go through. Because the devil is brutal. So, Brown went shopping and I said, all right, I'm praying at home. And, uh, and I got to the point where I knew I couldn't do this anymore. So I got in the, uh, the car. And you know how I've told you I go for my prayer drives, which are really screen drives. Scream, cry, shout out loud, ugly face drives. Uh, I did one of them yesterday. So I tried to ring Brahm and to let him know when he got home not to be worried that I was... Uh, screaming and uh, <laughs> uh, but I couldn't get through to him and meanwhile I got in the car and because I can't do this I can pray in my house but I can't let it all out we've got this little weatherboard house and I've got neighbors and I've got people who've come to the door they're like who's this crazy woman they'll probably call the police or the uh, the ambulance or something so I get in the car and the minute I get in the car oh my gosh it was like the floodgates of grief and pain just came out of my heart and I'm screaming and I've got this tissue over my face because people are driving past and I'm thinking, oh God, I hope they don't see or know me or whatever. And I'm screaming and I'm also saying, God, just keep me safe. Don't let me have an accident or kill anybody. And this wailing, like it's, it comes from the depths of your being. We, this is what grief is like, guys. 
And I did what the only thing I knew, which is to go to him. You know, all, all day, Brahma and I had been agreeing. We're agreeing in prayer. We're praying that he's hugging me, saying, I love you, babe. Come on, we can get through this. But I knew in the end, I had to get that hope, that eternal hope back. So I get in the car, and as it's coming out, I'm just wailing and screaming. And in the meantime, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm preaching on hope tomorrow. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever experienced. The bomb will have to preach now. I have to tell him to preach. I'm going to be a mess. Anyway, I stopped the car. Still hadn't heard back from Brahm. So I rang Bernadette. When you're in these moments, find someone who will stand with you on the Word of God. Find someone who will hug you and love you. Find someone who will minister to you and, and pray with you. I rang Bernadette, and of course she could hear I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. And straight away she said, hang on, darling, let me go into another room. She said, let me pray for you. You know what she began to pray? God, thank you, Father, I come against hopelessness. I come against helplessness. And she began to quote all these scriptures. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And on the inside, it's like God's laughing, you know, because I'm thinking that's all the stuff I've been writing and preparing to preach today. And she's coming back to me. See, we all need each other. But you know, after that, the pain left in my chest. Because the hope that I need is not controlling my circumstances around me. It's not controlling everything and making sure everything's safe and okay, and then I feel fine. No, it's in the midst of the storm that I have the Prince of Peace, that I have hope. Brahm will tell you it's a miracle I'm standing here preaching like this today based on what I was like yesterday. So guys, come on. Let's, Let's go to the Word of God. I woke up yesterday morning literally with that scripture, do not let, let not your heart be troubled. It was almost like as I woke up, those words were written in front of me like an invitation. And it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to get it out. But God wants us to be people who are full of hope. And you know, once I, that was released in me, that pain, that grief, you see, God doesn't want me to contain it. He doesn't want me to get into some sort of new addiction to cover it up. He doesn't want me to push it down and just keep being a nice, smiley pastor or a nice, kind Christian. We're real people. We're all real people. But you know what? Together, we're going to push through. And we're going to lay hold of the hope that God has given us. So, how do we maintain it? We look to him. Believe in God, believe also in me. He embodies hope. His words are spirit and they produce hope in us, his word. So where does it come from? It comes from his word. It comes from his truth. We can trust his word to set our thermometer of hope. Yeah? We can set our thermometer of hope by the word of God. And then faith in his death and in his resurrection, that's our guarantee that it will happen. All right. See, guys, the Bible is our legal document. It's our stand. It's our stance. (sighs) Let's go into this new year with the word of God. Let's go in as authentic people. Let's go in as honest, transparent people. Let's go in as people who not only need the word of God, but we need each other. 
I need you as much as you need me. Amen? Let's stand. This is what I want us to do. I want us to sing, He Has Overcome. And we're going to have communion. We're going to have communion because we believe in the finished work of the cross. Lord, you are so good. I'm going to ask the guys to just hand out the communion right now. Let's just have communion based on the fact that he has done it. I want you to bring anything before the Lord, anything that may be stirring in you, any sense of hopelessness. We're going to bring it before God. And then if you want prayer afterwards, come up the front. We can pray for you. Because we need each other. Or maybe person next to you. You can ask them to pray with you. But let's be a family here today. Yeah? And minister to one another. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let's take our communion. I'll have some up the front too, thanks. courage to take a stand of hope yeah some of you may not relate to that story you're way less emotional than I am that's okay all I know is this is how I do life this is how I've always done life The, the bread and the wine before God. We can't live without His hope. We can't. But it's got to be biblical hope. It's got to be Him. It's got to be His truth, not our own truth. Your emotions, my emotions lie to me all the time. It doesn't mean that they're not real. It just means the source that they're coming from, if it's fear, it's not, it's not God's way. So Father, we lift the bread and we lift the wine before you right now. We thank you for the reality, Lord, that you have overcome. That you have indeed overcome, God, by the power of your blood and your broken body. So Father, we bring any hopelessness that we have right now before you, Father. And we say, Lord, fill us with your hope. Let the eyes of our hearts be flooded with light so that we will know the hope of your calling, Lord. And the glorious inheritance that is within us. There is someone on the inside of us, Lord. Let us see it. Open our eyes to see, Father. Let this be the beginning of a new moment for each and every one of us, Lord, that this year will be a year of conquering and understanding and meeting with that hope. Open the eyes of our heart, Father. Don't let them be dull of seeing anymore in Jesus' name. So, Father, as we eat and drink, Lord, we thank you, Father, for the power of the resurrection of Christ. We thank you for the power of the death and the resurrection, the ascension and the glorification of Jesus. We thank you for that, Father. And upon that, we rest our hope, Lord. In Jesus' name, let's eat and drink.